0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As um, we're going to take the next four Wednesday evenings and sort of talk about the events that lead up to Easter and Easter itself, but um, I, I thought it w- this was a good time to do this. We we finished the Book of Exodus last week um, because, uh, like I told you in Exodus four. Of those chapters are repeats of four previous chapters with the tense changed, from the instructions on how they're going to do the tabernacle to literally just saying, "And we did this," and then they repeat it back. So, um, so we were able to to move through there. And rather than hop into Leviticus now, we'll do that after Easter. Uh, it's a chance to us to look at some of these ideas. And really, the this time of year um, that we call Lent, most if you've been in church, you know it as the Lenten season. It's really just a Easter prep time. Um, uh, the, it started in the church, uh, you know, 40 days out. Um, and it's 40 days not counting Sunday. If, if you ever wonder why the Lenten season's off a little. They don't count Sundays. The, I don't know why. They didn't make the count, but they don't. So uh, it's, it's 40 days, not including uh, those Sundays running up. And it was uh, this started by the church historically just as a time to sort of uh, get focused on really the main event that that uh, we celebrate, and uh, that was the the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection and all that it means, and, and so um, there's some things leading up to it that I think are important for us to know and to talk about, and so uh, I want to talk primarily tonight about the triumphal entry and what that means and why that happens, and because Palm Sunday will be on us soon. I know we still got a couple weekends, but... Uh, Um, that's the beginning of the triumphal entry and what was going on and what it means and why it's important um, to us and so we're going to look at that and then next week we're going to talk about communion the Last Supper in particular but we'll we'll talk about communion springing out of that and then we'll look at the crucifixion and then I think we'll talk about the resurrection so we'll kind of lay out the four Wednesdays like that and uh, it will give us some stuff to talk about so um, Palm Sunday, when that comes, and the triumphal entry, um, the last week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry. Uh, Well, I don't even want to say it that way. Um, His his life in the flesh, let's put it that way, Uh, here. That's as good a term as any. Uh, His last week of ministry in effect before He's going to be resurrected then um, begins Palm Sunday. So we're we're heading up in that direction. And um, it enters. Uh, it begins with him entering into Jerusalem, for the very last time. Basically, it's a big parade. So when we're reading the scripture, you need to know that's what's happening. And uh, up until that point in time, he had done everything he could to avoid public acclaim and publicity. He wasn't in parades up until that time. He he would never have been in parade. Now he was very popular at that point in time, and there were big crowds. But it was never in this parade setting where he was sort of the object of the celebration that was taking place. And uh, it was at the time of the Passover. That week was heading up. Um, the city was jammed with um, people from you know, Jewish people from all over who were required to come at this time of year uh, to Jerusalem. And he enters the, the city in a way that it's going to be a major deal. Everybody's going to know what's going on. All attention be on his arrival. Uh, he's going to come in riding a donkey, which we'll see, and uh, donkeys were, were very noble beasts in that culture, and uh, generals and kings um, rode a horse when they went to war, but when they came in peace anywhere, they rode a donkey. So that's pretty cool. So uh, it was a definite statement. He was coming in peace, and uh, he, he wasn't the sort of political figure or the, the warrior figure at that point in time that Israel wanted to deal with Rome, um, but he comes his first time through, he's coming in peace. Uh, the cheers, however, that greet him were tremendous. His followers and uh, uh, people that had observed what he'd been doing throughout the course of his ministry were, were caught up in this uh, triumphal entry uh, to the degree where the established religious community rebuke them um, and say to Jesus, you need to get a handle on your, your people because of this level of celebration. But uh, you, know, you need to know that the, the whole group hasn't figured out yet. See, what they're sure is about to happen is that they're convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. They know that. They got that part right. They're convinced that He is about to put and restore Israel back to her former glory in the time of David that they're convinced that that's all they understand from their reading of scripture is that when messiah comes he's going to he's going to make this restoration of israel and they're convinced that jesus is their guy so every even when he's been talking to his disciples about the fact that he's already talked about the cross they don't get it they 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 were like be taught you should be talking about a crown not about a cross and yet he's coming this time uh, he came the first time in peace he came the first time to bring what we needed which was uh, a way for us to be reconciled to God and he was going to do that at the cross but they they couldn't catch that there, and there is a stream of prophecy running through the Old Testament that talks about the Messiah coming as the lamb and taking care of these issues but they were they were because of the, the oppression they were under by the Romans um, all they could think about was a Messiah who was going to come and restore them to their place in the world because at the time of King David Israel was the top of the heap Israel and Solomon, you know, David and Solomon, they were, and the the people of Israel, God's people, they they wanted to be restored to that place. So they're thinking that's what's happening now, that's adding to this celebration, and there's some other stuff going on. So let me read you this first chunk of Scripture, and then we'll talk about it, and then I'm going to read you another chunk of Scripture, and we'll talk about that. Luke 19, 28 through 44. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you have is fine with me, but uh, let's read beginning in verse 28. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, "'Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you,' he replied, "'if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out.'" And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, "'If you, even you, had only known on this day "'what would bring you peace, "'but now it's hidden from your eyes. "'The days will come upon you "'when your enemies will build an embankment against you "'and encircle you and hem you in on every side.'" They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Pretty significant there. So, um, Jesus had been drawing these really significant crowds for quite some time in his ministry. And the people uh, came because they, they listened. They, they wanted to be around Jesus. There was something about Jesus that, um, they were drawn to, uh, and, and so whenever he went to a place, there was a sort of great rush of people that would come to hear what he had to say. He spoke; um, the way he spoke was different than anybody they ever heard. He he taught with an authority um, that that spoke to them. Um, it, it it you know ministered to their hearts with truth, um, and and his presence was. Was commanding, which you would expect, um, being fully God uh, and fully man. But all of it, he, he was, uh, there was an, uh, and it wasn't a, a physical attractiveness, the Bible says, but there was something about him that was attractive. And, and people wanted to be around him. He drew people to him uh, because of who he is. And not only that, the things he did were electrifying. You know, think about it. At this point in time, and the crowd knew these things that, Blind eyes could see and lame legs surged uh, and, and, and came back with strength. And um, people that had been confined to, uh, you know, pallets of affliction were up and they were about and they were walking around and people knew them and could see them. Uh, and and uh, the, the whole thing that all this brought to them was this hope that this time had finally come. That this was the Messiah who was going to set things straight and they were soon going to be released from the oppression they'd been under for so long at the hand of the Romans and others um, for a long period of time now um, as uh, they had been dispersed among the nations for a long time and had come back but nothing was the way it once was. Um, you know think about uh, people wanted, they brought their kids to him so that he would bless them. They brought their relatives who weren't feeling well. They brought them to Jesus um, and, and, and so these things would happen wherever he went and, and so a once hopeless people started to hope again, in this whole process, uh, and so there was great joy as he comes into Jerusalem, um, and 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 so that's fascinating because that's Sunday, and it all goes south within a week, uh, <laughs> for like four days, it goes bad, and you think what in the world happened? What was going on? With so one of the clues is in verse 37 when I read that it gives us a clue as to why the crowd was praising him i want to go back and read it when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen they were praising him for all the miracles they had seen which is something certainly, but might be missing the heart of the matter in the process, because um, when he stopped doing what they wanted him to do, they stopped praising him. See, that's the issue that's going on. The miracles and the stuff that he'd been doing, they were all about that, um, and and yet, so the issue was, they, they wanted a king who was all about them, instead of wanting to worship the king for who he really was. That was a significant issue in the process. And so there, there, the reason they were praising him wasn't a right heart. It, it, because we praise God because he deserves our allegiance. He deserves our loyalty because he's God. Not because of the things that he does, which is cool, but that's not why we worship him. We worship him for who he is. Uh, and because he's worthy of being worshipped. See, that's the heart of, of a true worshiper. So they, there was an issue with those things, and that's what was going on in the process. And so when you sort of n- understand that, you can begin to see w- how this thing is going to nosedive so quickly, because they're waiting for him to do what they want him to do, and when he doesn't, they're going to write him off, um, just like that, just like that. So that's happening. Also, this is a pretty cool little side note about the whole cult, the donkey thing. Uh, and I said, you know, so it was a sign of peace when a, when a king or a general came in. But there's something else about it. Um, there's a, back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17, we'll, we'll get there together as a group, like three years from now. Uh, <laughs> um, there was a commandment given to the kings of Israel in Deuteronomy 17, 16 and 17. I don't think I put it in your notes, so write down the address and look at it later. I'm going to read it to you. And listen, to this. it said, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more for them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. That was uh, an admonition for the kings of Israel. And do you know that all of the kings of Israel disobeyed that except for Jesus, the one true king. Didn't multiply horses to himself, had to borrow a donkey. <laughs> Wasn't married. No, Not many wives. And um, no money. He had, he was, but of all the kings of Israel he was the only one, you read about all the kings, they all did exactly what they were told not to do (laughs) they all multiplied horses, they all multiplied wives, and they all multiplied money to the best of their ability, that's what they cared about, except for Jesus and so Jesus was the one true king Jesus is the king Um, and, and yet now these people are wanting him to restore them to their place of former glory what they want is a king that does what they want him to do Back in, in John 6:15, when we studied the New Testament, there's a point in time when, because of the miracles, it actually says the people were going to come and make him king uh, by force. So Jesus withdrew. And, and that's a shocking verse, as if people could by fo- you know, could force God to do anything, God himself. But, but see, that was a reality. Because he was doing these miracles, they wanted to force him to be king, but he already was king. It didn't matter what they did or didn't do. It, it, he was the king, he is the true king of Israel and, and so they, they want a king who's going to do what they want but the king, the true king comes to do what they need not what they want and that's when things go because that's not what they think See, they, they, what they think they want, what they do want is to be politically restored but they need to be reconnected to God because they lost it there was no way and so Jesus comes the first time to do what they need but they reject him for it by and large you think about the irony of that um, he comes to his people bringing exactly what they need and almost all of them reject him in the process and, and so um, the, the big part about what you see here is, is that uh, his the next thing that happens is betrayal he's, he's betrayed and, um, and so he enters the scene big stuff going on and then all of a sudden this coalition, this bad coalition of, of the temple uh, hierarchy and the Roman government and even betrayal within the band of disciples it's all going to get together and ultimately going to lead to um, the crucifixion of Jesus it's all going to happen so that that's what takes place uh, in the process. So I want to read to you from Matthew 26 verses 31 through 50. I think that's in the notes. And again I'm reading out of the NIV. And uh, this is happening now in this, this last few days. A lot of things happen. Matthew 26:31. Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied even if, I'll, even if all fall away on account of you I never will. So now when I read that don't you think the question might have been not about I'm going to stay with you what do you mean when you're risen? <laughs> but, but okay let's say that I don't think they're even because of their paradigm that fancy word because they're talking about they can't get that he's gonna die they, they're like it's not gonna happen it's not so you're the Messiah we know it you're gonna restore it politically but Peter says even if all fall away on account of you I never will I tell you the truth Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows you will disown me three times but Peter declared even if I have to die with you I will never disown you and all the other disciples said the same then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to him, to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples found them sleeping. Um, so he, he went with his whole group to the garden he left a chunk of them in one spot and he took Peter, John and James who were his closest friends, his favorites and uh, the, he brought them closer to him and said listen guys I, I need you to pray with me would you just pray with me and they had just said we'll follow you anywhere Nobody, everybody else may leave, we will never leave you, we're with you, we're your guys Jesus prays for like an hour and these guys all pass out so you, you get the tr- trauma. Now, part of me thinks that these guys all sense s- something is not right, and, but they can't figure it out. And it, it o- they're overwhelmed too. And so it's their reaction. Have you ever been so overwhelmed that all you, you want to do is go to sleep? I don't know if you've ever. Because you, you figure you'll wake up and things will feel better. They're, they're so overwhelmed that this has happened. Let me keep reading. Uh, he returned and found him sleeping. Could you men not keep watching me for one hour, he asked And he asked Peter, because Peter was the loudest one. He was the one that was, I'll be there. Okay. Watch and pray so you're not falling to death. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may Your will be done. When he came back, he found, again, he found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them: the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, uh, Jesus, Judas said, "Greetings, Rabbi," and kissed him. And Jesus replied, "Friend, do what you came for." Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him so here you've got um, the inner circle basically Peter John and James they, they know something's not right they promise that they'll watch you know with him for an hour but they can't keep their promise and so in effect Jesus is sweating blood in Gethsemane and his friends are taking a nap that's what they're up to and and again you know you think about so I want you to think about the the, the ultimate Betrayal that Jesus was feeling from his friends. And, and, and Jesus is, you know, he's, he forgives it. But so they all take off. They all leave him. These guys had said they never would. And, uh, you know, maybe to some small defense of Peter, it looks like he might have stepped up with a sword and taken a swing at one of the guys and popped off an ear. But, uh, which Jesus pops back on. So, no, that's not how we're doing it. And, and maybe that just pushed him over the edge. But, um, Regardless, I, I think about this so that later on, you know, in the next day, when Jesus is on the walk to the cross, uh, carrying his cross um, and can't bear the burden by himself, nobody's none of his guys are there to help him. Nobody. They have to. They have to volunteer some stranger. Volunteered by the Roman government to pick up and carry his cross with him. And, and um, his his guys weren't even in the crowd to to step up in the process. And, and these were the same guys just a few days before. I will never leave you. I will always be with you. And, and the whole crowd, you know, that, that uh, is basically crying out, God's given us a king. Long live the king. Let all heaven rejoice. That had, that had been the sounds going up during the triumphal entry. And yet, what we see Jesus doing, if you remember in those first verses, is as he came in, with all that going on, he wept. And, and he wept because he, he knew the condition of the people and he knew their need and and he'd come to change their hearts not their government and yet they were going to reject him in the process and he, and he wept for him there's there's two times in the new testament we see him we one is uh, with lazarus when uh he, he learns of lazarus death and he weeps and the second he he weeps over jerusalem because i i think he he sees the the lost opportunity there you know he, He'd explained his mission over and over again, but they would just not receive the message because they refused to come off their sort of established thinking of they wanted to be restored politically. And even his closest guys couldn't get it, even though he had specifically told him it was going to happen. They were like, remember still arguing there at the end at the Last Supper, arguing about who was going to get the best spots and the seats and the who was the greatest and all these conversations they had and and Jesus was like, he washed their feet and said, so He's about serving, and, and they didn't get to it. And they, so they were jockeying for power, and one would deny him, and one would betray him, and all of them would flee the city and take off running. And, and uh, I, I think Jesus knew all those things coming in the rejection he was going to, not only from the people, but from Judas. And I, I, you know, um, He picked Judas to be a part of the group, and Peter. All of the rest running. I just think that he knew all these things. And yet he persisted in going to Jerusalem. It was time. And, and he went with the, this message that he had that, that uh, whoever reaches out to him, um, he, he loves. And, and uh, he, he didn't want people to reject him, but he knew that that was about to take place. And they were missing this amazing opportunity of what was happening. But, but through it all... Um, Jesus was willing to go to the cross, and and uh, you know, he prayed through it because he was taking on the weight of it all in the whole process, but he went willingly, and and if he had not wanted to go, he could have changed the dynamic. He'd been walking away from these guys who'd been trying to kill him for a year. He could just walk right through the crowd when he wanted to, and they couldn't do anything about it. He could have continued to do that, and and Jesus, some fully God, he, he could have called down a big legion of angels or something to pop him out of there, but he knew it was this was part of what needed to happen. he understood his mission, he was he was sad uh, at the people who were refusing to see it that he had come to his people and they as they had with so many prophets before God sent his own son They would rejected the message so that's what's happening, and that's kind of how the uh, atmosphere changes so dramatically in just a few days. so if you'd ever wondered how did it go, how did it go from this <laughs> amazing triumphal entry to kill him in four or five days that's why he wasn't doing what they wanted and uh, that, that changed the dynamic of the whole process so anyway that's enough about the triumphal entry and if you're watching my video appreciate you doing that uh, come and visit us when you can if you're around come for the next few of these studies next week we're going to talk about the last supper and uh, in particular communion and how it comes out of the last supper but we'll end it there Good night. All right, if you have prayer requests, you can pass them up to me.